God, we thank you for that truth, Lord, that, that we don't have to earn our sin, God, but that you sent your son down on this earth to die for us, that while we're still sinners, God, you loved us and, and you pursued us and, and you wanted a relationship with us, God. So I pray for all of us today that we would know that, Lord, that, that you do desire a relationship with us, God. And I pray that you would teach us, teach us to be more like your son this morning, God. I pray for the message and for our hearts. And, we ask all this in your, in your name, I, I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you. Would you give Will and the band a hand for a great job this morning? Well, good morning. Morning. It is great to see. That wasn't very good. Let's try it again. Good morning. Uh, that was much better. Happy, happy. We want happy, don't we? That's good. Well, it's great to see you. And those who are watching or listening online, thank you for joining us. And thank you for choosing to be here with us this morning. You know, when you hear the phrase ultimate importance, so many times I, I feel like that's overplayed. It's, it's, it's an exaggeration. I've been following politics about 30 years, and, and every election is the one that's going to turn the country. Every election is going to, we're either going to be communist or we're going to be great, depending on the election. And, and I believe elections certainly matter. They have consequences, but I, I'm, you know, I'm not sure which one's going to be the one of ultimate importance or not. The war in Ukraine is a scary thing. It's not a good thing at all. And you listen to the news, you don't know, is it going to be World War III? Is it going to be over in a month? We don't know. And you hear even Bible teachers talking about the ultimate deal going on or whatever and I, I don't know that a lot of times it's overplayed but I don't think it's an exaggeration today what we're going to look at in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 through 10 if you have a Bible if you don't have a Bible that's fine the scriptures will be on the screens but I do not think it is an exaggeration at all and I think we can prove this from scripture that what we're going to see today is ultimately important to you and your life and your, your existence. I mean, I think it's everything here and everything for eternity. I'm going to give you three words, and we're going to walk through those. The first word is the word salvation. It's the word tied to, you'll hear sometimes, to be saved. Is a person saved? And what does that mean? When we were living in Texas, this is about 23 years ago, my wife was cutting someone's hair, and by the way, when a hairdresser or a barber has sharp instruments near your ear, be nice to them, right? It's like the dental hygienist. Are you going to smart off to the dental hygienist? You're an idiot. I mean, you're fixing to get really a lot of pain put on you, aren't you? And so Cindy's witnessing to this lady, and she asked the lady if she's saved. And the lady said, saved? That's a Baptist word. That's a Baptist word. Now, I'm a Catholic. Well, this was funny. Cindy had been a Catholic. And when Cindy wanted to marry a Baptist preacher, she had to become Baptist is what happened there, see. But so she, she you know, could easily go back and say, well, hey, wait a second, I've been there. But, but is saved, is it a Methodist word, Baptist word, redneck country revival word, or is it a Jesus word? Well, in verse 8, I think we can dispel that myth or settle that argument once and for all. For it is by grace you have been saved through Faith. If you're taking notes, the word save means to deliver. It means to be rescued from peril or danger. 
In the New Testament, when it talks about being saved, 99% of the time it's not talking about physical deliverance, but spiritual deliverance. It's, it's talking about being rescued from sin and the consequences of sin in your life and from eternal death. The opposite, or we would say the anonym of that word saved, it means to, be per- to perish or to be destroyed are to be banished. So very simply by definition, to be saved is synonymous with being a true Christian. To be saved is synonymous with being born again. To be saved is synonymous to be that you're a follower of Christ or you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Those words go hand in hand. Folks, to be saved means that you've entered into a relationship with Jesus and that you found peace, you found forgiveness, you found the life that you're looking for here. And ultimately, when you die, you found life eternal in heaven. The opposite of that, to not be saved, is to miss Jesus. It's to miss the peace that God offers here. The peace that wears off from a, a drunk or a high. To miss the forgiveness that God wants to give you that you desperately and I desperately need. To miss the best life that God wants us to have and then ultimately to miss heaven someday when we leave this earth. In Revelation 20, 15, it's a very powerful verse. It says, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, I didn't write that. I'm just plagiarizing it. I'm just reading it to you. God did. God's saying there, in essence, if a person dies without being saved, they will be eternally separated from God forever. I heard this illustrated years ago, and I think it's a great illustration to show how being saved is the ultimate issue of life. Let's say a person goes through life, and they fail at everything they try. They fail in school, and I'm not saying these things are good. They fail at school. They fail as an athlete. They fail in business. They fail in their marriage. They fail in relationships, financially. Whatever it is, they fail. They want to be powerful and successful. They're not. They fail. But they find Jesus Christ before they die and they go to heaven. I want to tell you, that person's gained everything, although they had nothing here. But what about the person? And listen, these things, some of the things I'm fixing to say are good things. And Rustin is busting out the seams to find these things. You have money. You have power. You're academically accomplished. You're successful. You're a good athlete. You're you're like Josh and me. You're handsome and humble thank you Josh nobody else got it they're just I think they thought that's real they they agreed with us Josh you hit the lottery people know who you are but you die and you don't have Christ as your savior no matter what you gained here is lost forever See, I think that's why this is the ultimate question, the ultimate issue of life is being saved. So here's a second word for you, and it is a question, how? If being saved is the most important thing there is, period, and it is in God's eyes. The argument you might have right now is not with me, it's with God. The ultimate issue is being saved. How can we be saved? In 1915... The RMS Lithuania sank. We have a picture of that, that ship. It doesn't get a lot of play. Titanic sank three years earlier, 
And you, you haven't, maybe because people can't pronounce Lithuania, that didn't get a lot of play, but what happened is a British ocean liner and a German submarine shot a torpedo out, this is the beginning of World War I, and it sank. The Titanic sank in about two hours. The Lithuania sank in 18 minutes. Out of the 12, uh, 1,959 people on board, 1,200 died, 1,198 died. One passenger who survived was a guy named Charles Lariette. He was a bookseller. Here's what he wrote years later. He said, as the ship was sinking, you didn't have time getting lifeboats. I mean, it's going down quick. Lariette looked around to see who needed life jackets. He noticed that among the crowds now pouring on the deck, nearly everyone who passed by him was either not wearing a life jacket or was wearing a life jacket incorrectly. In his panic, one man had thrust one arm in an armhole and his head in the other armhole. Others rushed by him wearing their life vests upside down. Life vests were a little different then, but you still needed to have them on right. No one had stopped to read the little information that said, how do you put on a life jacket? Lariat tried to help people, but they thought they, he was trying to take their life jacket, so they fought him and pushed him away in terror. He said, when all was said and done, before I was pulled out of the water and put on a boat, I looked, and dead and drowning people, drowned people dotted the ocean like seagulls. Many of the bodies were floating upside down because people had put their life jackets on the wrong way, and their heads had pushed them underwater. Hmm, life jacket's pretty important when a ship sinks in 18 minutes in the Atlantic Ocean. They know how to put it on. How are you saved? I mean, how, how, how do you find peace with God? How do you find a right relationship with God that's going to get you to heaven and change your life here? Man, that's the ultimate question. Let's go back 2,000 years ago. Paul is a Jewish man. So he understood Judaism good. The Jewish people basically thought you were saved in two ways. One, it was your birthright by your, the fact that you were a, an ethnic Jew that you are going to heaven. And folks, that's just not true. Jesus blew that out of the water. You're not going to heaven because you're white or black or you're Native American or whatever. That's not how you get to heaven. That's not where the ticket is. Uh, other Jewish people, a lot of them thought it was by your deeds, that you obeyed the law of God. If you obeyed the law, you're good, you're moral, especially if you're better than other people, you go to heaven. That's how you get to heaven. That's, that's not true. In Ephesus, where he's writing, there was this magnificent temple to the, the goddess, fake goddess Diana and the, the god Artemis. It was considered one of the wonders of the world at this time. I mean, it was magnificent, and people from all over that part of the world would come there to worship Diana and Artemis, and, and they would have said, you're saved, you're going to find eternal life by giving money, by sacrificing, by following the rules of Diana or Artemis, but certainly that wasn't it. Let's jump ahead 2,000 years later. Muhammad Ali was one of the, one of, if not the greatest boxers of all time. Big and fast and strong. He converted to Islam when he was an adult, and some of this would be tied into Islamic beliefs, but, but there would be a little more to most Islamic beliefs than this. But Muhammad Ali said, when you get to heaven... God's going to put your good deeds on one scale, your bad deeds on the other, and whatever weighs the most, you, if you're good or more, you go to heaven. If you're bad or more, you're going to hell. Now listen, I know many of you, if that's true, we're in trouble, aren't we? We're in trouble. We're absolutely we're in trouble. Last August, I got a, 
an email, August 16th, from the Israeli Children's Cancer Center. We have a picture. This was not the picture I got, but it was very similar. And it was a heart-tugging email. It was basically, it was saying, hey, these kids are dying of cancer. They need money. They need help. And here's how they ended the email to a pastor uh, trying to encourage me and my church to give. What a better way, what better way can you merit or do a good deed to obtain your name being written in the holy book of life than to give a sick child the wonderful gift of life wow i mean if i just give money man giving money to a children's cancer cause is a great place to give money but but is that going to get me to heaven hmm and some of you are going no that's that's silly everybody knows that's not true did you know in america 52% of Americans, when push comes to shove, here's what we say. You're going to heaven based on your good deeds. If you're generous, you're nice, you're good, you're going to heaven. If you're not, you're going to hell. Look in verse 8 and 9 of this passage this morning with me. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. Verse 9, Not by works so that no man can boast. God put a stake right down, and here's how we know we're not going to heaven that's by our our works you're taking notes the word works it's an important word we're going to see it again in a moment it means your performance or your labor or your moral conduct or your goodness and he says you and i cannot be good enough moral enough righteous enough to get to heaven i don't know about you i think probably that's good news because if god's standard's perfect you'd have to be perfect and god says nobody can be good enough you may think you are i may think i am but nobody can be good enough so how do we get there he says in verse 8 it's for by grace you have been saved through faith you can just leave that there if you would you remember a couple weeks ago even last week we looked at the word grace it's used 150 times in the 27 books in the new testament grace means undeserved favor it means unearned unmerited goodwill Here's what this means. God looks at you and me, and God says, you can't save yourself. You're not good enough. You're not moral enough. You're in trouble. But guess what? I want to save you. I want you to be saved. And so God wraps up salvation in a package, and he said, I'm presenting you a gift that you, that I, that we don't deserve, that we haven't earned And here it is, and you receive it through faith. Faith is the conduit. Faith is the the way we receive it. What does the word faith mean in the New Testament? What does it mean to believe in Jesus in the New Testament? People get this backwards, and it gets them in trouble. Faith is not simply intellectual belief. Faith in the New Testament is a surrender of your heart to Jesus Christ. When we talk to little kids about being saved, we'll use the ABCs. We'll say to be saved is to, is to admit to Jesus you're a sinner and tell him you want to turn from your sins. It is to believe that Jesus died on the cross and arose for us. You have to, well, I don't understand that. Well, I don't either, but I accept that. And the last part's where a lot of youth and a lot of senior adults and everybody in between, we miss it. We, we, we're, we admit we're a sinner. We believe in Jesus, but that the C part of the faith is the commitment of our life. You see, to be saved, saving faith, we're going to see more in a moment, is not just intellectual acceptance. It's a surrender of your life to Jesus Christ. 
You notice he says in verse 9, it's not by works that no man can boast. Some people have got this a little confused. They go, well, what is the gift of God? Is it faith or is it works or is it salvation? Common sense reading is simple. Salvation is the gift of God. The contrast, and it's important, is faith and works. If you're taking notes, you can, you can write down Romans 3 and 4, Romans chapter 3 and 4. Read those when you get home. He, he repeatedly contrasts faith and works, faith and works. So here's what God says. And man, I want to tell you, it really is good news. It may seem hard, may seem tough. You can't be good enough to save yourself. You can't be righteous enough, moral enough, nice enough to save yourself. Nobody can save you for you. But God says, I want them to be saved. I want them to know me. And by my grace, I offer a gift. You're not working for it. You're accepting it. Listen, if you could go to Ukraine today and you found people who may not have eaten in a month and you could find those people and you had food, please tell me you wouldn't sell it to them. You would give it to them, wouldn't you? That'd be a grace gift. I don't know if anybody in Ukraine's ever done anything for you. That's a grace gift. But they've got to receive it. God offers that gift to you. It's like a, we're just a beggar that's hungry. We didn't work for that bread. We're just accepting it from God. John 1, 12 is a verse I love because it's so clear. It helps us understand believing in Christ is more than intellectual. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, faith in Christ that saves me is the faith in Christ that I receive into my life. I believe in Christ, and it changes my life. Here's the third word this morning, and this is where we kind of, the rubber hits the road. That's the word proof. Proof. Is there proof that you're saved or if I'm saved? In verse 8 and 9, when he says, For by grace are you saved through faith, here's the first thing. The word saved, it's hard to translate this In our English, the Greek's more expressive of the New Testament, but the word saved is a a past tense word with an ongoing effect. In other words, if you're saved, you were saved at some point in your past. You weren't born saved. You didn't wake up one day and go, Shazam, I'm saved. You at some point in your life bowed your heart and your knee to Jesus Christ and you were saved. But It has ongoing effects in your life. Look in verse 10 with me. Verse 10 is a great verse. It says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That word workmanship means poem or masterpiece. Listen, when you give your life to Christ, you become God's masterpiece. You become God's poem, God's artwork. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That's a tremendous thing. But you notice he says to do good works. Here's predestination. We looked at that a few weeks ago. Predestination means to draw up the boundaries ahead of time. God predetermined before the foundation of the world salvation was going to be in Jesus Christ. And all those who come to Christ will be saved. But he also predetermined those who are saved would do good works. You are not saved by your works. Amen? But the exact same word is used in verse 10 that was used in verse 9. Your labor, your moral conduct. You are saved to work. A lot of people who say they belong to Jesus have been sitting on the bench their whole life. You're saved to be in the game, friend. You're saved that there should be proof that you belong to Jesus by how you live and how you behave. 1 John 1, that little book, 1 John 5 chapters, it talks about 
saved people love God. They love the things of God. They love people. They sin. They just don't waller in their sin. There's proof that you belong to Christ. I was talking yesterday to a lifelong friend in Tennessee, and we were, we were talking about not wanting to be judgmental. Judgmental is when you condemn people, when you think you're better than people. You're not being judgmental when you say, I'm concerned about that person. I don't know if they belong to Christ. Matthew 7, Jesus said, by their fruits you will be known. Folks, if there's not any fruit in your life, there's a problem. There should be proof that I've been saved by grace through faith. Many, many years ago, I was talking to a a lady. I was in my mid-20s. She was a little older. Her family was a lot older than me. And she was, I think she was a Christian, but, but her family, she was concerned about her family to an extent. We get protective and defensive sometimes of our family and people we love, to, to, sometimes to their detriment. I mean, if you've got a family member who's got a, a gorder sticking out of their neck like this big, don't tell them it's all okay. Get them to the doctor, right? And, and I knew her family, and I'd, I'd observed them for several months, and these people hadn't been in church in years. Their idea, I mean, most people will go to church Easter Sunday, right? Come on, in the South. The, uh, Easter Sunday, they just had a big cake, make like an egg. That's how they celebrated Jesus. They didn't, they didn't drink a glass of wine or have a beer. They drank a case of beer and four bottles of wine at supper. They were immoral and unethical. But she would tell me, well, but they believe in Jesus. When you get home today... Look up James chapter 2, verse 14 through 26, 12 verses. Here's what it says over and over and over and over. If your faith or my faith does not prove as it's not active and living and alive, we have a dead faith. We don't belong to Jesus is what it says. James 2, 19 says, you believe there's one God, good. Even the demons believe and shudder. You see, believing in God that saves me that saves my life or eternally changes my life here. And there should be proof. Oh, I'm not saved by works. Absolutely I'm not. But I'm saved to work. And my life and my works prove my salvation. I know many of you probably heard this story or saw it this week. Terrible, terrible thing in West Texas. A truck... It was being driven by a 13-year-old, 38-year-old passenger. Apparently had a tire issue. And they're going about 75 or 80. And they hit a van coming towards them, swerve into it. It's a van carrying the golf team from Southwest University in New Mexico. You got two vehicles going 75 or 80 with hardly any brake, they hit head-on. Out of the 11 people involved, nine died. Last I heard, two were in critical condition. And they, they died like that. I want to read to you the ages of these people. Because a lot of times we think only old people die. 13-year-old, two 19-year-olds, two 18-year-olds, a 22-year-old, and a 21-year-old. 
the coach of the golf team was 27. He died. The oldest one was the 38-year-old passenger. And, you know, when I heard that story, I mean, a lot of things go through my mind and my heart as a pastor. It's just like, oh, my goodness, how horrible. I mean, the, the, their families, their friends, just the, the devastation. My goodness, my goodness, my goodness. But here's, here's what else went through my mind. Do you know the second that happened, their golf scores didn't matter anymore, did they? Mom and Daddy, don't be mad at me. But the second that happened, their grades didn't matter anymore. Their athletic skills and didn't matter. Their, their, their money, their social media accounts, their clothes, their power, their influence. I mean, you want to have a great relationship with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your, your family. You want to have that. But, but even all that's gone. It's gone. You know, in the flash of the second, the only thing that mattered, the only thing that mattered for at least nine out of that 11 was where they saved. That's it. That's it. So I want to ask you this morning, are you saved? Not are you baptized or sprinkled or christened. Not have you gone through the motions or a program. Have you truly surrendered your heart to Christ? And, and, and this is not preacher talk. You, you don't know when that time's coming for you. I, I really, this is the truth. I, back when I was living the party life, I planned on getting saved at 65. Really. This is how dumb I was. I was going to party and live it up till 65 and then give my life to Christ. Not one of those kids had a second to respond to Jesus. What, what, what was is what is for eternity. I pray, I hope they're with Jesus forever. But you've got an opportunity today. I know, you know I'll wait, I'll do it later. You, you, you're not guaranteed of that. You've got an opportunity today to settle the most important thing forever. Will you? Would you bow your heads with me? If you're a Christian, man, just thank God for saving you right now. Thank God for saving you and for what he's done in your life. But I know in this room there is a number of people that are unsure or maybe you know you're not saved. There's, there's a number of people watching and listening in the same boat. But if you're ready today to cross that line with Jesus, pray with me. Pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. Jesus, I accept your God's Son and that you died for me and arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart. I give you my life. And I ask you to save me, Jesus.